Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. You're listening to Agile for Humans with Ryan Ripley. Learn more at ryanripley.com. This episode of Agile for Humans is brought to you by Agile plus DevOps East 2018. They bring together practitioners seeking to accelerate the delivery of reliable, secure software applications. Learn from industry experts how your organization can leverage Agile and DevOps concepts to improve deployment frequency and time to market, reduce lead time, and more successful, deliverable, stable features. Choose from over 100 learning and networking opportunities this November 4th through the 9th in Orlando, Florida to improve your Agile skills in hot areas such as Agile and Lean Development, Scaled Agile Development, Leadership, Digital Transformation, and more. Agile for Humans listeners, use the code AgileDev to receive 400 off your conference registration. Visit well.tc forward slash Agile for more information. Welcome to Agile for Humans, episode 102. We're going to be talking about the influential Agile leader with Johanna Rothman and Gil Broza. Uh, what does it mean to be an, an influential Agile leader? How do we work with such leaders? And, and what kind of benefits do they bring to the organization? Or just many, uh, or just some of the many topics we're going to get into. Welcome to Agile for Humans. Our goal is to bring humanity back into the world of software delivery with Agile values, principles, and practices. We gather top Agilists from around the globe to share insights and help you grow as servant leaders in your organizations. We seek to open minds, change hearts, and deliver value into the world. Now here is our host, professional scrum trainer and agile practitioner, Ryan Ripley. All right, Johanna and Gil, welcome back to Agile for Humans. Both of you have been on before. It's been too long since we've chatted, but it's awesome you're both here. Uh, thanks for doing this. Well, thank you. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm really psyched. No, I, I, I've been looking forward to this conversation. I know I've seen this, um, a lot of your, your social media stuff going on right now about uh, the leadership course that the two of you come together, I think, annually to, uh, to deliver. And so it's, uh, I 
typically well received. I mean, a, a lot of cool buzz online and a lot of it's around the influential agile leader. So Johanna, would you help me? Cause I, I, I currently have a lot of interest in professional agile leadership. I'm doing a lot of work in this space, but the influential agile leader, you know, where are you going with this concept and uh, how did this even come about? So, Gil, Gil, you will interrupt me, please. Okay. Um, Gil and I had this conversation. Was it back in 2012 or 13 um, that we first started to talk about the problems we were seeing? And we had people who we, we kept having conversations and engagements and all kinds of stuff with very interesting people and clients. And they all said, we really want this agile thing. And we're middle managers or we're first line managers or we're kind of just below the senior VP. So we're not, we're not senior, senior leadership. We're not leading the teams, although we, you know, some of them happen, but we're in that messy middle and we can't figure out what to do. And so Gil and I had separately said, well, have you seen, have you tried to make a picture of the organization? Have you used your influence? Um, back when we started this, we actually started to teach coaching because mm-hmm. not enough people actually knew how to coach, especially up and and so we developed this from what we were seeing in our clients and in our colleagues. Yes, and um, over over the years, we really sharpened the focus to now focus on people inside organizations, usually in the middle, like Johanna is saying, who are leading or participating in the leadership of the Agile journey. So, you know, when we talk about agile leadership, we, we sometimes look at two different things. We, we might look at somebody who's um, a scrum master or a manager or a director or a program manager who is accountable for people and results. And there's a ton of leadership there and a whole lot of good things to do. And this is stuff that we teach separately in other forms. But there's also the people who are not uh, focusing necessarily on a team's results or the results out of a program or, you know, future capability or staffing or any of that. But instead, they're helping their organization shift how the organization works. And so we have focused our workshop on these people. And we have um, two full days of um, basically a curriculum to guide their own work and reflection and assessment and analysis so that they may get some traction on leading the transformation. You know, I used to actually sit in one of those seats. So I was a director at a Fortune uh, 200 financial firm. Um, I was one of the leaders of the the Agile efforts. And uh, I had a lot of VPs, some who were supportive, some who weren't, some who were neutral. And uh, I struggled until I decided that I needed to learn how to speak to each one of them. Mm-hmm. And so what I mean by that is I would sit down and just um, the empathy map is a, is a really good tool for this, I think. Uh, yep. Trying to figure out, you know, there's a specific VP I have in mind. I won't name him, but um, <laughs> I had to sit down and figure out how to speak to this person because I wasn't getting through. And so I really took a lot of time to figure out, well, what is he hearing? What are his threats? What are the, you know, what does he feel like he's losing? And really tried to do that empathy map in a very um, direct, honest way. And what I found was when I really tried to sit down and figure out their needs first and then address those needs, and then start walking with them down the Agile journey, uh, I seem to get a lot better results. Does that resonate or kind of align with the direction you've taken? 
Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one one of the things we teach in influence is to ask for a specific result, and it's not go agile. That's not specific. And we also teach the way we teach influence. It's it's Gina Laborde's um, influence, congruent influence, whatever it's called, um, and. And she talks about entertaining short-term and long-term objectives. And when you think about um, empathy and what is in it for this person and what this person has to lose, that might change everything about the way you approach it. Yes, and... and um you know, I, I come at this from the really the, the human side of Agile perspective, and um, the, the, you will see sessions in our in our workshops that are all about talking to people. Uh, we, we have a segment called How to Talk About Change and What to Change So Others Talk. And, and this is very much about, you know, how you simply, you know, get across to people. Because we were so used to seeing Agile as this, you know, great new thing, not so new anymore, that, you know, if they would only listen, if why don't they wow. get it? And, and that never sticks. So it, it has stuck with, uh, you know, <laughs> the few hundred people who come to the Agile conference, but not with the vast majority. So we need to know how to talk to pretty much everyone and everyone will respond to a different mode and a different channel. So I, I think that'll resonate with a lot of people, especially those of us who are working in the space. And I, and I think you hit on something interesting there, Gil, with, you know, the, the few hundred people that attend or actually a thousand that attend the big Agile conference yeah. might get this. But busting out of that echo chamber and actually going into yes. um, and I'm sorry if listeners out there are upset by that, but it is an echo chamber. <laughs> the Agile 20 XX, whatever year it is, conference a massive echo chamber we all agree on pretty much 80 percent of everything except when scrum comes up and then it's a free-for-all but uh, <laughs> but i mean otherwise safe. yeah don't let me don't get me started yeah and and just because most people don't realize scrum is the greatest thing to ever happen to agile it's their problem not mine <laughs> um but anyways i digress but yeah, it is one of those bubbles that once we get outside of it rubber meets the road and holy cow things are a lot more tricky aren't they Totally. Yeah, yeah, and uh, what I mean, I'm actually writing a whole series of blog posts about moving towards a product organization now, and the problem is there is no recipe, and so many people want the recipe, and I understand why they want it, but um, what we do it at actually at the influential agile leader is to help them see how to create their own recipe as opposed to adopt or insert somebody else's. And we yes. find that that really gives good, much better results. Yeah, you know, people really look for predictability and comfort and confidence in the move to Agile. Of course, that's a mirage. Um, so what, what we teach is not so much a change process. There's a ton out there. But we what we focus on helping people think through their situation so they can have options and not just feel like it's agile or the highway, not feel like, you know, it's either we do this uh, and some people have to go or we don't do it at all, uh, really have options for the move. Um, you know, for instance, scaling. Every organization with more than 20 people thinks they need to scale. Well, what if they don't? There's right. definitely more options there. Um, and 
there's so much temptation to to just stick to the familiar and the documented and the certifiable that it's it gets really hard to see what you can do within the context of your messy reality you know i i that's that's really smart especially the scaling comment um something that i had to move away from was actually using the word agile Right. I really I found that that agile was such a triggering term to a lot of people I was trying to influence that uh, I started talking about behaviors. Actually, Amitai Schleier mm-hmm. taught me this trick. He's mm-hmm. he's like, you know, what What if you went up to a VP and said, hey, what if we delivered a little more frequently, uh, <laughs> created an opportunity for you to make a lot of small decisions more frequently instead of really big, scary ones uh, where things could really go wrong. And uh, we inspect that every once in a while. We give you some results. We create the opportunity to pivot. Um, and then we also make sure the customer's throwing some input here pretty frequently. And uh, we sit down and make sure we're building the right things. And then we make new decisions if uh, things need to switch. And there's not a VP in the world that says no to that. Uh, okay, no. okay, okay. I have to say something about that. <laughs> <laughs> so what you have described is how to elevate the conversation from, are you buying into uh, two-week sprints and stories and Jira boards? You have elevated the two, uh, talking at the level of mindset, values, beliefs, principles. Terrific. The conversation definitely belongs at that level because this is what makes Agile Agile or Lean Lean and whatnot. So if you go to a VP and you say, and, and you actually approach them that way, you will be heard. And like you're saying, you know, a lot of people will agree with you. But the test is what happens tomorrow. Because if you say, how about we valued these things, the adaptation, the customer collaboration, the frequent delivery, blah, blah, blah. They still value the previous things, whatever they valued before you showed up at their, in their office, such as prediction, uh, predictability, commitments, budgets, schedules, and whatnot. Now they're going to have to choose which one, which set of values do they, value, do they want to go with? Because they do not align. You cannot hybridize them. And so, in a way, um, this is the conversation that needs to happen. Um, it can't really happen with one VP at a time. It actually needs to happen with more people because of it's a system. And the other thing is, um, if we do make that change, what are we hurting? What are we hurting and what we used to value that is going to have um, lower importance now? And realistically, unless you really win hearts and minds, the shift will not happen, even if you have the conversation at that level. Interesting idea. I wonder, though, if we can find congruence between what uh, the, the leader, the VP, what they value and those behaviors and principles and, and values that we're advocating from an agile uh, perspective. And what I mean is. Um, an exercise I've run, and first, Gil, I agree with you, it needs to be the, the system, not just a person, right? So we need mm-hmm. multiple people. But what if we start at, you know, put a Post-it note up on the wall. I love Post-its. I wish I owned more stock in 3M. Um, <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> but what if, what if we put a Post-it up that says we shipped it, right? And then we say the whole group of people, we, get the, we have the whole system in the room, VP down to janitor. They're all in the room, and we say, all right, what's the one thing that happened right before we shipped? And then they put that up on the board. And then what's the next thing? All the way back to create an idea. And maybe there's 20 steps in place uh, all the way back to idea. And now with our values of uh, our lean principles, our values in mind, can we facilitate a discussion that's centered around delivery, 
which is in my experience, what most VPs want, but help them make decisions around what to eliminate, what to change, identify the difficult spots, show them visually um, that if they correct some of these impediments, we can become more predictable. Um, if we approach it that way with that delivery focus without really using the agile terms, does that kind of close that gap a bit? I think it definitely helps because you want to make a visceral connection. You don't just, you know, waltz into somebody's office and say, hey, adaptation is the new thing, mm -hmm. right? You, you want to tie this to something that will actually matter to them. But here's the deal. And Yeah, go ahead. Okay, and a lot of what matters to the senior people and the people in the middle is how they are compensated. Let's mm -hmm. not forget the personal reward system. Yep. We have our, our organizations are so stuck on resource efficiency that they, you cannot get to delivery because for for weeks and months because everybody is optimized for their work and if they don't optimize for their work instead of for the good of the product then they actually lose they lose big in terms of their bonus they lose big in terms of their of their compensation possibly even their ability to work yeah. so well, I have done that little exercise. I actually did that with uh, uh, people in a workshop about the project portfolio earlier this year. I think that was back in June. Uh, I have found that that the exercise itself is not sufficient because they could see it. They could see their system of work, but they did not add in the culture piece, which is about how we reward the people in the organization. And a lot of culture is, you know, what we tell ourselves, what we reward, the behaviors we reward and punish, blah, blah, blah. If you peel that onion a bit more, you also look at beliefs and assumptions, which is, again, part of mindset. And what happens there is those people who want predictability, those people who make the big plans, they're not evil. Why are they doing this? They're doing this because it gets rewarded and it gets held in place by the belief that we have smart people, whatever they say will probably end up being the right thing. We do work. The work we do is the right work to do. Now let's be efficient and predictable about it. And Agile questions that assumption. Actually, Agile does not agree with that assumption whatsoever. Um, and so th this is another of those things that you have to... Um, I, I guess um, confront people with the assumptions that they make that have become second nature that they don't question anymore. I mean, think about it. Everybody in organizations makes plans, right? So it's not just product plans. It's plans for everything. There is a hidden assumption behind that. The assumption that putting the plan together is worth it. Nobody questions that. Yet Agile does. But here's the deal. Um, until you actually help people realize what sort of assumptions they make in the course of their work, you're, they cannot change too much of what they work. They must decide to, to make different assumptions. So one of the things we try and help people see is what are the assumptions in their organization mm -hmm. and how do those assumptions play out? So um, one of the activities is actually um, taking a look at the organizational map, not the hierarchy, because the hierarchy might 
be how work gets done, but is often not how work gets done. Um, but really, what, how, how did people actually work in the organization? So, even though um, I I like to call myself a Spock-like creature because I don't start with a with the heart, I start with the head, um, <laughs> and and Gil is all about the human side. Um, you can just look at the titles of our books and yep. see. Um, <laughs> it's totally it's totally obvious. Um, but we come to the same conclusion, right? When Gil and I were putting this together, we said, "How do we take the best of?" of both of these kind of orbs of our brains and help people understand we have to bring the the assumptions that people make that are not part of logic right people don't make decisions based on logic i'm not sure where that ever got started i even know that so if i know that i mean you know how can people not know this so we make decisions based on our feelings and our feelings are based on our assumptions and values and what we think has worked for us before. So when we went part of what happens in these two days is people come into this workshop with a set of assumptions. They are sure they need to influence this person. They're sure they need to ask for that. They're sure about this. And by the, the, by the lunchtime on the first day, they're not so sure of any of that. Which is actually good, because mm-hmm. then their minds are open to thinking about what could be. Yeah, it's fun when um, it's fun when during a, a workshop or a, or a training class, you have the students doubting themselves by uh, lunch on day one, isn't it? <laughs> well, and it's not it's not that we want to really tear their hair out, but um, but. So many people think that an agile transformation is you get a bunch of training and you call people scrum masters and you call other people product owners and you can do all all you have to do, right, in quotes, big, big quotes in bold letters. All you have to do is change what the teams do and then you'll magically succeed. And that's not what happens, right, and not in a successful transformation that actually sticks. Yeah, because um, there is transformation and there is implementation. And really what Johanna was describing, to which we should add the installation of Jira, yeah. is really, it's, it's really implementation, right? So you're, you're copying what other people did. They might call it best practices. They might call it the process framework. You're copying what they did and try to make it your own. But if all you change is capabilities and behaviors and environment, but you don't win hearts and minds, that just does not stick. If it happens to stick, and it does, that's usually, I would say even in every case I'm familiar with, it's because of enough really senior people who really had the agile mindset all along, but were forced to sort of work the, um, the organization way because that's what the organization wanted them to do. Now that the organization is sort of, sort of showing interest in agile, now they can behave the way that really makes sense for them. Yeah, it's um, it reminds me of an episode we did um, with a, a couple of fellows from South Africa, uh, Kevin Threthui and uh, Daniel Rowe, where we talked about the spine model. I'm not sure yep. if the two of you are familiar with it or not. Johanna, I think you are. I'm I'm somewhat familiar with it. Kevin um, walked me through it. I think for ten minutes at an agile conference. So I'm um, my my re. 
my recollection is that it totally made sense. And I, if you had, if you asked me to repeat it back to you, I would say, no, don't make me do that. So, yeah, no, I won't make you do that. I'll, uh, I'll see Thank if you. I can butcher it and then I'll put a uh, link in the show notes to their great explanation. I think it was like episode like 82 or something like that, but I'll put it in the show notes. So don't quote me on that. But basically okay. what they found was everyone was getting stuck on, um, tools and practices. And so they oh, put yeah. tools and practices at the bottom of the spine and they started moving up to um, principles, values, and needs. And if you can get the conversation up the spine away from tools and practices, back towards principles, even more idealistically values, and really awesome if you can get back to needs, get alignment at those levels, and then work back down to practices and tools, you tend to be able to have stronger conversations that are guided you've already changed the hearts and minds and now you can go to implementation and it really i mean a lot of what you're talking about this um empathy for leaders influencing leaders um changing the conversation to their needs moving up and down the spine uh you know a lot of this to me and and forgive me if i'm oversimplifying i i just feel like this is servant leadership in action and this sounds like really what your workshop is after it's how do we serve the needs of others before our own? How do we make sure those around us are thriving, prospering, and growing? How are we making sure that the people around us um, are striving towards a, a vision of better that they may not even believe in yet, but we've convinced them, we've influenced sure. them that it's worthy, you know? Yeah. So um, our workshop actually takes all of this stuff for granted. Everybody who comes to our workshop is already a servant leader. They may not have years of experience doing that, but in their hearts and minds, that's who they are. They want the best for the organization. They want the organization to succeed. They're not hell-bent on Agile. They understand that Agile is a great way to accomplish some of what they're after. So we, we take them from there. And so, for instance, one of the things we have to help them with, and, and that's one of my sessions there, is how to deal with their own frustrations. You wouldn't believe, well, actually, you, you would. Uh, you would believe how frustrated everybody is because they come in and their organization has been attempting Agile for usually a couple of years. And it's like, you know, this should be better by now. And why oh, does yeah. so-and-so not listen? And don't they get it? And, and like all the questions that, you know, just ma make us, you know, punch the wall. So, so we want to help them deal with the frustration. We also want to help them deal with their own um, identity as leaders. Because it's one thing to say, you know, I want to serve others and whatnot. And it's quite another to constantly be rejected. <laughs> because it's not about you know just helping the team like a scrum master would um it's the other part of scrum mastery which is you know help the organization and the organization is a you know like um jerry weimer used to say it's always a people problem and everybody's different and everybody communicates differently and stuff happens that you're not aware of and and every other day it looks like you know something's operating against you and it gets really really um frustrating and and simply disheartening well and i think it's it's almost messy so what i often see is um these are people who don't know the name for what they're doing i mean they're doing servant leadership activities and actions but they've never read anything about servant leadership they do this because it would really help their people or it would really help that person over there in the organization right so so they do it from a sense of 
how can we make things better? And often they they're not even sure what to do next. They've mm-hmm. they've taken a bunch of certification classes, and I I know you're doing certification things. Sorry, um, and and they've they've succeeded up until now. Now, but the the classes they've taken are not enough for them to get over this next hump to figure out what do we need to look at, what do we need to do, how do we need to frame our conversations mm-hmm. with other people. They don't have an education problem. Okay? Yeah, it, it is. It's certifications aside, they don't have an education problem. All of the people who come to our workshop, it's been a couple hundred so far. Um, they they read all the time. They go to conferences. They talk to people. It's never an education problem. It's it's more like you know carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. So. Um, which is why it's a little bit funny to say that, you know, we, we, we teach stuff. Yes, we teach a few things, but they're mostly, you know, uh, like the things that we would do uh, coming in and helping companies um, and, and then just, you know, giving people the time and the space and the colleagues to um, to just think through this with. I mean, you know, if nothing else, the fact that these very busy people take two days away from their schedule, three with the travel, whatever to just think, right? It's like a huge retrospective (laughs) with lots of action. Um, That alone helps them um, really realize what's going on and not just be caught up in the hamster wheel of, you know, I'm trying to do this and then I'm, I'm stuck on these three others. Yeah, I and, and Johanna, I I don't take offense at the certification comment at all. I, um, I'm not selling certifications. Right. So as so Johanna's being very kind, she knows that I'm the, the course steward uh, for Scrum.org's professional agile leadership class. And, you know, what we're doing is a two day experience where um, the participants, very similar to yours, they're doing a lot of introspection, reflection, working with one another to create uh, insights and, and and ideas you know, for their work. There's some teaching in it, but a lot of it is exploration, and it's totally detached from the assessment that leads to certification. And so a lot of people will actually, you know, you know, and a fair number will just say, you know what, I'm not here for the certificate. I need two days um, to just really think about my work, and if I don't come here, I can't turn off the phone, I can't close the laptop, and I can't focus. So, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of that going on, you know, but... Um, no, I agree. I, I, I think what, what the two of you are doing with your workshop uh, is important. It's creating that space for emergence, which really does not happen often uh, in traditional training or certification courses. It doesn't happen in the workplace enough. Uh, and letting these leaders just sit down and let some ideas just spend a little, just spend time out of their comfort zone with some ideas, but facilitated and led by the two of you. I think that's that's got to be an awesome two days. It's pretty wonderful. Yeah, I, I love I love yeah. this workshop. You know, it's um, it's our sixth year. We we've taken at different places, including uh, the UK. Um, I I love this one. I I have my other courses that I do on my own as well, but this one I always you know go back to. Um, like seriously, so, uh, th- there have been instances where I remember people kind of get this sort of shocked stare. Of like, you know, I just realized something and um, this is important, but I don't know what to do with it. And 
I know they would not have had that moment back in the office being as busy as they were and just caught up in the regular flow of things. So when I see that look, I go over and we talk. Um, <laughs> right. And, and um, you know, these are some of the people I've, you know, I've, I've kept in you know, best contact with. And, and, it's, um, and it's terrific to see how they grow and help the organizations along. So, yeah, I mean, everybody's talking agile transformation and, and leadership today, but um, there's actually not a whole lot of offering out there uh, that helps people with that and not with specific skills of here's how you do X, right? So, for instance, you know, Johanna teaches portfolio management and all the stuff around this. We don't teach that in the course. We teach our participants how to help others who ought to be doing portfolio management right. actually do it like they mean it. So it's not about our, you know, again, transformation leaders doing the portfolio management themselves. But it's about saying, well, this has to happen in the organization if we're to keep the, keep the organizational whip low. Well, who do I talk to to actually make that happen? And how do I talk to them? And how do I see the need for it? So a lot of people who come to the workshop don't might not know the words portfolio management, mm -hmm. but they they see the effect of not having it. And if we can help them with the words about this, that actually yeah. changes their ability inside the organization. Yeah. Or like how to have those scaling conversations. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's important skills and, you know, it's just, it's one of those those cool offerings that I think people can get a lot of value out of. Um, it's, it's funny, I there's a, a gentleman out there, um, what is it, he wrote the book Managing the Unmanageable. Um, it's Ron Lichty, I think, and he wrote it with a gentleman that happens to be named Mickey Mantle, so it's co-authored by Mickey <laughs> Mantle and Ron Lichty. <laughs> And he has this workshop online that he, or this talk he does, and it's on YouTube. <clears throat> and he's he's talking to middle management, right? So the managers, directors, uh, the, the kind of people that we target with our course offerings. And one of the questions he'll ask is, how many of you have had, you know, how many of you have been in management for at least, you know, a year or two? And, you know, 80, 90% of the hands go up. There might be a few new people in the room. And then he says, how many of you have actually had at least a week of focused training or um, mentoring, however, whatever phrase you want to use, teaching, whatever it is, specifically around management. And, you know, out of 100 people in the room, maybe 10 hands go up. And, and to me, it's this really interesting, um, it's this interesting idea that we're working against almost in this industry where um, if you've been promoted to management, you know everything you know. And so these people who actually step up and say, hey, I'd like to go to, you know, Johanna and Gill's influential agile leadership course, if they want to do a PAL offering, whatever it is that they go to, um, I think it's huge in and of itself that they're putting their hand up. Maybe they're sticking their neck out and they're saying, hey, there's some things I'd like to learn. Um, and just the fact, you know, whether or not that's safe in their organization. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah and and. I mean, it, it's all from the myth of promoting the best technical person to be the next manager, right? Um, there's all kinds of myths like that, and I'm I'm hoping to get my modern management mindset books out mm, this year. Maybe, maybe not. Um, 
But I, I think it's so hard for these people in the middle. They do put everything at risk for um, asking for the money to come. And, and for actually being there for two days. Because these are the people who are... Um, I. One one person actually said to me, I feel as if if I let anything go, she said she felt like an octopus. And if she let any of her arms fall for just a bit, the entire organization would, would turn to smush. And, well, she used a different word. And I think that's the piece, right? These are the people who actually keep the organization running in some sense. And they are... They have. They cannot manage it over time. It's not sustainable. Yeah. Eventually, the plate drops, right? Yeah. Or the yeah. you know, I I always call it just spinning plates. When I was, and I full full transparency, um, I I have managed in an old school mindset, right? When I came up through the ranks, I started as a developer. Um, and then when you do pretty good as a developer, they sometimes give you the chance to be a project manager. So I was a traditional project manager. And then we deliver some projects. They see if you want to manage some people. And so I fell into that trap and uh, became a middle manager. Um, and initially I, I was emulating the people around me, right? Yeah. And, and so well, what else would you do? How would you possibly know that there was another way? Exactly. How could you know? And, and well, it was really, it was, you know, Gil, your books, Johanna, your, I mean, the, the behind closed doors was eye opening, right? So you've got behind closed doors that, that came out, Johanna, your other books have really, I mean, they've resonated with me throughout um, my career. Gil, your, um, you know, the human side of agile really like was a sledgehammer to my face of, Hey, wait a minute. It's like Weinberg, like, you know, Jerry, such a great thinker, you know, it's a, always a, it's a people problem, right? And when those, yep. when I really accepted the fact that most of the time systems are failing and not people, which is a really, really hard idea for, for middle management to accept, it is. along it with is. all of the lessons yeah. from the two of you, I finally shifted my management and I was a lot more successful. So I started, I suppose, a few years before your story. And when I was... Uh, uh, put into management of a team. Um, I said, well, here is uh, my former manager that I am not emulating. And, here, and here's another former manager that I am emulating. And I'm going to have to learn how to do this. And so I took courses in project management and people management. And, and some of it just made me wonder, like, you know, is this for real? So I was actually doing a whole lot of stuff by instinct. And that was in the year 2000. And in hindsight, it was agile. Uh, only didn't have the name and you know internet resources were so poor at the time that there was almost nothing to even learn this from um, I based entire two years of managing a an informatics team at a drug discovery startup based on three blog posts from a guy at IBM that was my literature and that was that was extreme programming so there was a ton of instinct um, but we don't have to go by the instinct anymore, because so, much of much of this is is known. It's out there, but we have to be open to: can we do some things differently now? Is there room for this, or am I crazy or not? 
So I think that um, you guys all know I'm much older than these two guys, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not supposed to say how old I am, but I started to work in 1977, and we did not have project management tools. This was the best thing. So I actually grew up managing people and managing projects by walking around, by creating um, milestones that were monthly. These were not agile projects. They were actually stage delivery. But um, I could not possibly understand what the people on the teams were doing. So I asked them to tell me what they would deliver. And if they had trouble making one or two day um, inch pebbles as opposed to milestones, we would work on that. So I, I actually had great managers because I grew up at a, at a different time. You guys, you really did not have a leg up. I had a leg up. Yeah, we had blackboards. We didn't even have stickies. But, you know, aside from that, it was all much better. So, so I, I do agree with you, Gil, that it's, it's really important that we don't, we don't need to go with our instinct we don't need to go with our guts, especially since our guts often lead us astray. And if if you have never seen a great manager or even a reasonable manager, you don't know what what the possibilities are. And so I suspect, Ryan, in your classes, you actually show people here are some possibilities. And that's what we do in Influential Agile Leader, that we show people possibilities for how to look at a situation, for how to practice um, uh, understanding the ideas and then explaining them to other people and what they might do next. Yeah, we uh, very similar to, to what you're saying. We're, we're really trying to just show people that they have an option, which is not always apparent, right? It's yeah. hey, we don't have to just ask for a status. Maybe we can ask how we can help. And then does that lead to a conversation about the work and you still get what you needed, but you served someone's need first? Like that could just be one of, you know, again, I've, I've been quoting, you know, Jerry a lot lately. I think a lot of us have, you know, he, he, he came on the show um, a, a year or so ago and just was talking about, hey, if you don't have three ideas uh, about something, you don't understand it well enough yet. And so what are three possibilities going on in a situation? What are three approaches that you could take? What are three good questions you should be asking? Like that's the, I mean, his, that, those questions of his are always just rolling through my brain about, you know, if I don't have three good ideas around this, I haven't tried hard enough. I need to go back to the well and figure out what else I could try here, you know? So, again, going back to the whole human side thing, uh, some people, quite a lot in fact, don't like options. They like the one right way, they call it best way, whatever, you can hear it in their language. You can hear it when people ask you, when should team groom their backlog? You hear it in questions such as, what's the best way to write a user story? Mm-hmm. What's the best way to write acceptance criteria? And their language implies that there is a best way and it's been done. Why Why do I need options? I just want to move on. Tell me what it is. Well, and, and something, so, yeah. something that we have to do, at least in, on a, from a PAL perspective, and, and I'm, sure, I'm sure the two of you cover this too, is that we start with complexity and work outward. It's, there are no best practices because what works today could be different tomorrow because we're in a complex space, right? 
So what, what I'm suggesting here is that this will only appeal to part of your audience. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the whole complexity thing and whatever, and I go to all the talks and, and, and I hear it and it resonates with me because I like options. I'm a questioner. I do not jump into the best way. I have to have justification and so on. But a lot of people whom we help yeah. are not like that. Yeah. So, for instance, if you want to lead an agile change, that change is going to cover a few dozen people, a few hundred people, thousands of people. If I remember the stats right, uh, at least 40% on average in the general population, I don't know about technology, uh, will gravitate to procedures. That's the name of that mental filter. The other side of it is options. And the idea is that Whatever the task is, we should identify the procedure that works best and then just keep doing it. That is how you get teams that get enamored with their particular implementation of whatever framework that starts with us, and they just stick with it because it's it's been said to work. And that's another reason that continuous improvement stalls. So we are not going to change these people. What we can do is, you know, gently and empathetically help them think that there might be options to help them. I mean, I can tell you this, when, whenever I'm with a team, coaching them, whatever, and, and somebody asks, you know, what's the best way to do this? You know, I, I bristle because I don't think that there is the best way. And sometimes I say that, and, and then I say, look, you have options here. You could do this, you could do that. What else could you do? And I can see that some people just go blank. And it's not that they're stupid, and it's not that they don't care. They just don't think that way. And so we, we need to be able to talk to them as well. So I try to stop doing what I said I do. <laughs> um, because we need to, uh, to respect that they sometimes need their hands held. Here's another thing that I recently realized. I've been reading uh, The Four Tendencies, and, and I really like some of the insights in that book. Um, some people... Um, re are really, really good at meeting other people's expectations from them. It, it makes them come alive. Okay? My mom is like that. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, there's nothing disempowering about it either. It's just what makes the person come alive. And uh, these people sometimes um, struggle to meet their expectations of themselves. And what does help them is um, accountability provided by other people. I hear this and I say, I don't want accountability. I want responsibility. I want trust, right? I want a person to have agency. And yet, with all these wants I have for the person, some external accountability will get them going. This is pretty counter to all the stuff we cover in the echo chamber, right? And yet, which means that, you know, in some teams, it's actually okay that the Scrum Master checks in with people, not all of them, only those who really need it. Um, and it is actually not disempowering for them. It actually helps them. It helps them that somebody notices and, 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 and falls through. So we have to open ourselves, in, especially as leaders of change and supporters of change, we have to open ourselves to um, all the good stuff that comes under the Agile umbrella is going to miss some people, uh, but not for the reasons that we thought. Yeah, and I, 
I don't have an issue with the scrum master checking in with a person. I, I have, uh, as long as we're also tying that to a coaching opportunity about what's possible, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I think a lot of the backsliding that happens in that scenario though, is that the scrum master starts checking in and suddenly they're accountable for delivery again. And that of really just, I mean, that's the, I'm not trying to invoke the slippery slope argument because Gil, I, I really, I understand what you're going towards the coaching mentoring aspect of a scrum master role, which I totally agree with. And that ability to kind of read the people and say, this person needs some help. They are used to uh, working in a procedural way. It's not that we're not going to get them there, but there's time. It's, there's going to be a time investment. I think that awareness is wonderful. And I mm-hmm. think as a, as a influential agile leader, as a professional agile leader, however you want to phrase it, um, the ability to adapt our approach, our, our message, our tone, our, our means of, of helping people based on the situation and the person, I think becomes essential. And that's exactly how we frame all of our topics. What is the context for this person? What is their context in the organization? And how can they think about all of the other people and themselves? So I'm not, I don't think we, do we actually talk about congruence? I think it comes oh, up. We do. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So we talk about congruence actually a lot and, and to help people understand what their, we don't talk specifically about mental models and filters, but we go into some of the aspects of that. But understanding context, I think, is so important because um, without that, you cannot possibly understand which, what your possibilities are in a given situation. And I meet a lot of people, especially in middle management, who are just plain tired. They've been trying to buck the system for years and years, trying to get stuff done. And they just want to know how to do their job. And they want to serve their people. They want to serve their organization. They want to serve their products. And they, they're just tired. And those people... If we can, if we can help them get one more step closer to a place that would make sense for them, that's that's when I think we've done a really good job. Yeah, I I I, I totally agree. When we're whichever, you know what I feel that way about any class we're running. To be honest, just just getting the students to that next half step and teaching them a few ways to perhaps uh, discover. Um, some ideas to keep going forward, and I think we've won. And I think that's a really cool message. And uh, I think it's one that we can, it's a high note that I think we can end on because we've actually hit our time box. Oh. And so, Johanna and Gil, I knew this one would fly by fast. It totally did. And, uh, you know, I love the topic. Clearly, I'm I'm investing a huge portion of my time and career into a professional agile leadership. I think the work the, that the two of you are doing is adding, you know, to to turning up the good in the world of leadership. Um, and I think that's awesome. And I really appreciate uh, the two of you sharing this with, uh, with the Agile for Humans audience. I'm sure they got a lot out of it as well. Um, can you share the details of, I know you've got a few things coming up. I think next week you have an online discussion that people can sign up for. You've got some workshops coming up. Um, Johanna, I know you've got some new books coming out. Gil, I'd be, I would be shocked if you didn't have at least three books on the back burner you're working on. Um, <laughs> 
you know, so free. So, so I'm going to shock you. No, no. But uh, feel free uh, to, to share details about those things coming up and uh, also how people can reach out. So I know people like to hit you all on Twitter and LinkedIn. And you know, what, what, what do you prefer in case people would like to continue the conversation uh, with the two of you? Yeah, so, so in, in terms of um, what we have coming up uh, on the 17th, uh, this is like an online conversation. It's not a webinar, it's not a podcast, it's not a fireside chat, we call it a conversation. The idea is that we actually um, uh, discuss challenges that we've seen with Agile transformations and how we, um, how we approach them. And, and that actually leads into why we pick the particular topics that we have in the workshop. Because, again, this is not stuff that's usually taught. Um, so th th there are some very specific topics that we keep going back to, and this is what we cover there. And, and the rest of the time, people just ask us questions. We've already received dozens of questions in the registration page. So if people go to influentialagileader.com, um, there, there's a button there called conversation. Just um, sign up there um, and ask us the questions. Um, what else? Um, to reach me, LinkedIn is good. Um, include a note, please. Um, otherwise, um, I mostly get LinkedIn requests that are surprising to me, and I, I don't know what to do about them. Um, uh, yeah, that's that. So, Gil, you're supposed to accept all of those random requests and then mass market right back to them. Oh, oh, ick. <laughs> I think that's ick. Sorry. Yes. I'm just kidding. Yes. Uh, and yeah. so you asked if I have any uh, books on the back burner. I don't. Um, I have been putting my energy into other means of helping people. Um, I, I teach a lot these days. So some some of my courses are public. Uh, most of them are private. I Almost every month I get to work with a client where they want Agile, but they don't do software. And so this is an excellent fit for, you know, the whole mindset thing because this is where it starts from. And then we customize something that works for them. And, you know, the domains have been all over the place. Um, really, the only software they know is what runs on their computers. So it's it's fairly interesting. Very cool. Yeah. Johanna, yeah. how about you? Okay, so you know me. I have several books um, going. So the uh, the Geographically Distributed Agile Teams book, Mark Kilby and I are very close to finishing so that we can have it um, reviewed by our reviewers. Um, it's already up for sale on LeanPub, and we were looking at one of the chapters, the communication chapter, actually, and we, Mark's comment was, this is a really confusing chapter about communication, so so we have refactored that one. Um, yeah, and I am working on trying to get all of my online workshops up and running for um, 2019. I had been I've been doing a lot of virtual training. I'm not sure if your if your listeners know I have vertigo. Traveling is kind of a pain in the tush. Um, I am happy to go to the influential agile leader wherever it is, but I really try and manage my travel. So I've been um, not doing public classes. I'm still doing private classes because it's easier to manage my travel. And I find, though, that um, the virtual classes fulfill a really specific need. So mm -hmm. I am I am really working on 
getting those up and running and I am I'm not going to commit to when I'm going to open registration but I'm hoping it will be the beginning of November okay and we that will was... uh, we'll share a link when those come out so don't worry oh, as soon as they're you. ready we'll get those out on the Twitter Twitter feed Facebook page LinkedIn all those fun things oh thank you that's very kind of you yeah mm-hmm. Well, all right. As for me, your host, Ryan Ripley, let's see. I'm not going to push anything today. I think it was just a fun conversation. Um, I really love the leadership topic. Uh, I'm not going to push anything this episode. I hope everyone checks out the, the discussion next week. Um, I will certainly log in as long as I'm able to. I might be teaching, but if I can check it out, I'll certainly pop in for a little bit. Um, but otherwise, we've had another killer month. So September was amazing for the show. I think we passed 40,000 downloads. So everyone out there is sharing the show. I mean, it's just going crazy. Uh, Patreon support has increased, and uh, I always appreciate that. It is kind of expensive to uh, to run a podcast, so I really appreciate all of the listeners chipping in to, to help offset the costs and some of the... Uh, uh, the pains of putting the podcast out, but you know what? It's a, it's a labor of love. Uh, we all love getting c- together and talking, sharing ideas, and it's great that all of you are caring and sharing the show. So I uh, really appreciate all of that. Um, but I think that's it for this week's episode of Agile for Humans. Uh, I'm your host, Ryan Ripley, saying thank you as o- always for your support, and uh, we'll talk next time. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on.